Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hola and welcome. This is season four, episode twenty-five of Drive-by Cinema with my co-host Paul. Upside down exclamation mark. Hello exclamation mark everybody. And my co-host Richard. Gracias, Pablo. <laughs> That's as far as we can go, I think. Well, maybe you can go further. But... <laughs> Exhausted by Spanish show. Paul, you know last week we spent a good 15, 20 minutes talking about how GPS works. Yeah, and I listened quite intently. And then you said, Paul, you obviously are a close-minded dolt because you have shown me no appreciation whatsoever. So I do remember. Stings still, Richard, yes. We didn't do any corrections and they're mounting up. I've got a, a, like a laundry list of corrections we have to go through now. Oh, now, did we make any egregious mistakes on, on GPS? I don't think we did, did we? I mean, I could have talked for another half an hour on GPS because there's a lot of other clever things that it does. GPS is way more accurate than it used to be. And that's partly down to improvements in technology and the software. But it's also down to the fact that the US turned off selective availability, which was the military insisted civilian GPS should not be more accurate than 100 metres. Wow. Well, I mean, China still kind of follow that rule. If you're in China, right, you think, wait a minute, I've ordered the DD or the, you know, it's the equivalent of uh, Uber over there. And I'm standing across and I'm seeing the uh, green dot where the taxi is and it's not here. There's a reason for that. Because their satellite nav isn't very good? No, the military makes sure that all domestic commercial maps are electronic maps are skewed slightly so they kind of put they kind of put these wibbles through so that everything is either it's just slightly distorted up or down or left or right by about 50 yards right so if you're going to refer to the maps and the gps on the maps to bomb things then you're going to be bombing the wrong thing is the general idea i think the u.s gps network which i think is called starnet or yes net star or something i think it's called starnet is not the only not the only satellite navigation system. The Russians have one called GLONASS. No way. The Europeans, we have a new one called Galileo, which, of course, the UK was part of until we left the European Union in a huff. Did we get our bit of it or not? No. In fact, if you remember, the, the British government... I do remember, yeah. There was some talk about this, wasn't there? Yeah, they said they were going to make our own British GPS sort of system. What happened to that? Which, of course, well, that was fucking nonsense because it would be very expensive. You get huge economies of scale, right? Mm -hmm. But they're expensive things to maintain. You have to put the satellites in orbit, but you also have to maintain them. You have to keep repairing them, sending new ones and replacing old ones. Doing it as a relatively small nation, not really feasible, especially since we don't actually have a space program, do we? It's quite tricky to maintain your own independent satellite navigation system. So we're kind of fucked, really. We helped build Galileo, and now we're... Not locked out of using it, but we our military can't rely on it. Same story as the Industrial Revolution, really, isn't it? We started it, other people took it over. The thing is, most satellite receivers can just get the signals from any of these networks. So if you look yeah, on your phone, yeah. you're probably getting Galileo and GLONASS satellites as well. China and India also have their own, but theirs are geostationary, which is pretty unusual. I think they're restricted to China and India, I could be wrong there. In terms of global communication and wars, I don't understand why don't countries cut the cables to internet across the world when they're at war. It would be easy to do, wouldn't it? Yes, it, it would be, probably. 
a dark blanket of non-electronic uh, communication would descend upon the world. I think this is it, right? If you're a country, even if you're a bad actor, a state that wants to do that kind of thing... It's not it your just, interest to do it, yeah. No, because you're connected to the rest of the world as well. True, and all of yeah. your citizens <laughs> need the same facilities. There's the reason, okay. But So what you're saying is that despotic lead- leaders do have brains. Here's the thing. They do eavesdrop on them. So there are completely amazing missions that submarines have gone on, particularly the US, to eavesdrop on communication cables around... Wow the Russian coastline, where they sneak in, obviously underwater, and they send a diving bell down to a cable, and they put a little crimp on the cable with, like, a recorder on it, and it records all the signals. Then they have to come back a period later when the tape is full, pick it up, and take it back to the US. Whoa. It's absolutely crazy. These are none of the corrections I wanted to talk about, though, Paul. I want to go back to Saltburn and talk about eggs and how you cook them. Yeah. In the film, Oliver asks for over-easy eggs. over And we remarked that that was an unusual thing for a British person to say. It's either because we don't use the word over-easy, it seems more American, doesn't it? It is more American. Or we just don't cook them that way. I I can't imagine cooking an egg over-easy. Well, you cook it one side, you flip it over for 15 seconds the other side. Yeah, that seems mental to me. Sunny side up is how you have a fried egg. I mean, that's what a fried egg looks like, isn't it? Even... Even one of those little sweets that's a fried egg looks like a sunny-side-up egg. There are many cultures, and uh, with the many <laughs> ways of cooking eggs, Rich. Well, I know that you said you don't want any runny yolk. You said that for I'm... you, yeah, you're you're frightened, literally frightened of an egg that isn't cooked to within an inch of its life. Yeah. Okay. So do you cook your eggs flipped, as it were? Over hard, yeah. Thank you. Okay, so I'm just going to say, it turns out I didn't know this. There are kind of three levels of over easy, over medium, over hard. And over hard. I didn't know that. Because you don't over yours, so you wouldn't know, would you? It's not a thing I would do. I don't know how you flip an egg and it not break the yolk. Ah. No, and if you break the yolk, you have to cook the whole yolk, don't you? you have there to is a skill. There's a skill involved. Anyway, that's thanks to Gavin who told us this. Gavin also pointed out you know, we were talking about our tagline watching movies so you don't have to. Yeah. Thinking that. We've stolen it from somewhere, because lots of people are using it. Lots of people are using it, so we can't possibly be the originator. Yes. Is there a phrase for that? There ought to be. There's probably a German phrase. A huge compound word, isn't there? Mandela Vorzeitfeich. Parallel evolution. Gavin found what he thinks is the progenitor of that phrase, at least on YouTube. He found that the earliest use of that phrase was a YouTuber guy called a nostalgia critic... This goes all the way back to 2007. It's quite early days in YouTube. That is that's so very early. early. That was a time when you could just upload yourself, pick your navel and get 5,000 views. <laughs> His catchphrase was, I remember it so you don't have to. Uh-huh. He used to review old movies and TV shows. I, I think it, it was also called That Guy with the Glasses. T-G-W-T-G. Not something I ever really watched, or if I did, I don't remember. I certainly didn't steal it. I don't know whether Jolien maybe saw it from there. So that's salt burn done and dusted. Salt burn done and dusted. Salt burn thrown back over our shoulder. Right now, as we speak, I can be sure we have no corrections from our listeners for last week's episode. Thank God. Because it's not been published yet. Oh. However, if it pleases the court, I would like to enter into a piece of evidence. I would like the court reporter to read back the transcription of last week's episode recording. Let me just put this clip in context. This is in the middle of the description of how GPS works, which I know was most of the episode, yeah. 
Here, we are talking about how two circles intersect. Oh, no, no I, I wanted to bring this up. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? What did you want to say? Do you remember the flying saucer sweets you ate as a child? I, did, I wanted to bring this up as well. It's not the, what I was going to say. I know that when we talked about intersecting spheres, you talked about the flying saucer. Yes, yeah, no, that's, imagining... vol- that's the intersection of the volume, but not the intersection formed as a shape, as a, yes. as a circle. Mathematically, a sphere is the shell, right? It's only the 2D surface. Ah. So you would be talking about, as you say, the volume. A solid volume is a ball in mathematical parlance. So when we say a sphere, you just mean the outside edge. And when you say a ball, you mean it's solid, as it were. It's the whole volume. So you'd be right if we were intersecting our balls. <laughs> but we, we weren't. We were intersecting a surface of a sphere. I so see. it's a circle, the it's edge of your flying saucer, effectively. No, here, Paul, I'm referring to five minutes, 30 seconds into the, into the episode. Oh God. And I'm talking about two intersecting circles. So here we go. Rick, two intersecting circles. Now, how did two circles intersect? Question mark. Paul, well, all the Mount Weasels go and join the intersecting set and have a party there. <laughs> I'm Rick, sorry. <laughs> they overlap at two points. Paul, <laughs> they do. That's where the Mount Weasels live. <laughs> now, at the time, I didn't bring it up. I was well aware that we were running long. I didn't want to spend any longer going down a rabbit hole. At this point, though, Paul, you're asking I have me what to medication ask you, was I taking? Do you recognise those as your words? I do. Yeah. Can you explain to the court what the hell you were talking about? Right. Okay. So you know what a Mount Weasel is? No. Well, I searched for a Mount Weasel, and I found. A charming indie band doing... No. Oh. If you do a very simple search, I'm doing one now right. on Google. You, you type in Mount Weasel, it will redirect you on Wikipedia to fictitious entry. A fictitious entry. So a Mount Weasel, uh, in the early 20th century, copyright wasn't heavily enforced in printed material, and particularly maps. So imagine making a map. It takes an awful lot of money to make a map. Oh, it's and a copyright so trap. What you do is you trap other map makers by putting roads and salient features, the first one of which was called Mount Weasel, on the map that you know do not exist. When your competitor produces his map with those features, you know that they've copied yours. Wow. I knew that A to Z used to do that, probably still do. They used to put fake roads in on their A to Zs. Why did GPS do that? I mean, you've got those terrible stories of like people driving into the sea following their <laughs> GPS. Yes, true. I was true. impressed the other day, actually. It took me right across a massive eight-lane junction, and I was like head-to-head head head with a bus going the other way, going, going one way, run the wrong way down a one-way street for about 200 yards. It was so embarrassing to have to turn around because like, everybody was tutting and shaking their heads and pointing. What GPS navigation system are you using? That would have been my phone. Yeah, what app? What app were you using? What Google? Just Maps. Google Maps. Well, you should be using Waze, Paul. I have got Waze, yeah, but... If you used Waze, even if that happened, which it wouldn't, you could press a button and say, the hell? That was wrong. Please fix that. Yeah, Google used to have that correction ability, like, pretty much to the front of the app, but it's not... It's t- it must be there somewhere, but it's tucked away now, yeah. Listen, I think those are the corrections I've got for this week so far. I think we're done. 
up to date. Mm-hmm. I know there are a couple of other things people have mentioned. I'll have to bring those up next time. Let's talk instead about a movie this week. How about that? Okay, go on. For once. Why not? All right. After what? This music. After that music. Okay, here comes. Where are we, Paul? We're in the middle of nowhere, I'd imagine. We all are. We're all floating in space, aren't we? Pointlessly and aimlessly and to no particular destination. We are at the beginning of nowhere, I suppose, which is the film that we saw. Some time ago, a week ago, okay. A Spanish film. It is fully Spanish. It's not like even like part financed by by other people. It's like just so Spanish in every respect, isn't it? I was going to say it maybe doesn't need so much financing because there's only like one actor and one set. One, one set. I mean, I, 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 this is the point I was going to make. Just an amazing idea. Because what was, what was that village of dogs we saw with Nicole Kidman? What's it called? Dogville. Dog Life. Dogville. Dogville. Which puts the film on a, a soundstage. Soundstage. Yeah. Which was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I did reflect on several occasions. My gosh, they haven't really spent a lot doing a set here have they except it is filmed like almost all knee deep or waist deep in water yeah and that's probably quite expensive isn't it to film in like a a swimming pool style i didn't think studio. about that yes yes it is yeah the director of this whose name is uh, albert pinto mm-hmm. he i think he's made his name recently in a Netflix TV series called Money Heist. Money Heist. It's, it's come up on my... Yeah, it's come up on my feed, Money Heist. Yeah, it's from tw- 2021, and it was pretty popular. He's just done another sort of follow-on series called Berlin, I think. Same people. It looks pretty stylish. I may be forced to check one or both of those out, perhaps. Well, I was going to check out Money Heist, but then I thought, wait a minute, didn't we watch... Didn't we watch something with Adam Sandler stealing diamonds or something? I thought that must be it, so I didn't bother clicking on it to find out what it was. We did watch Adam Sandler's... But it's not you... Money Heist, is it? No, it's not the same thing. No. Well, go and watch Money Heist, then. Money Heist very European, I think, whatever that means. Now, it stars this movie, Nowhere, 2023. Uh, it stars the redoubtable Anna Castillo, yeah. who apparently is becoming something big. She's like an amazing actress or an upcoming actress... Overyear way in Spaniardland. Okay, she had a lot to do in this film, didn't she? She carries this film. I mean, it's her all the way, isn't it? Yeah. Because her her her, her compatriot Tamar Noaz, I don't know who he plays. Well, her husband, I think. Basically, we don't see much of her, do we? Really, he doesn't spend long in there in the film, does he? No. So this film is set in the near future. Now we've seen something very similar to this. Children of Men has a similar. It kind is very of... Children of Men. That's yeah. right. That's right. In this future, Europe is being overtaken by a fascist regime. I know. It's a very far-fetched, fanciful idea that seems a million miles away from ever happening. It's being caused by a global crisis and a shortage of something. So, (laughs) I mean, it's quite wavily created, this crisis, isn't it? Apparently, Spain cannot sustain its citizens. We hear that. People are trying to flee Spain. There are people smuggling operations going off everywhere. Because what is the general Hero- Herodian rule here? Well, it's not clear what's going on. It's mostly to kill women and children, strangely. I don't are know they why. Killing they killing them? Are they killing yes. them? Yes. Yeah. Oh. 
Maybe they're worried about having too many people that they can't feed. If they can't feed the puppy, I don't know. It's not explained in the film. Why not kill the men? Wouldn't you kill the men first? Not if you're... Outside of the serving soldiers. Apart from soldiers, wouldn't you kill the sort of peacetime men? Just get rid of I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying, yeah. I I, I didn't necessarily buy that tactic, but what the heck, it's it's in broad strokes, isn't it? It's the backdrop to the movie. So we're going to follow a young couple as they try and flee Spain. Nico and Mia. Mia, yeah. Nico and Mia. They're fleeing Spain through one of these people smuggling operations. What was the movie we saw where they were, we had a photographer in South America trying to get a rich girl back? Oh, that oh. was Monsters, wasn't it? Yeah, Monsters. A little bit. A kind of vague similarity to the checkpoint moments of that there. So this people smuggling operation works by putting people in containers. The uh-huh. containers get loaded onto ships. They're aiming to get to Ireland which, for reasons that are not very well explained, has completely escaped. Yeah, it's not having any kind of potato famine this century. <laughs> and there's no fascist government there in Ireland. No. Let's all go to Ireland. Why not? Now, don't worry. The containers are not sealed airtight, are they? Have they got a natural, like, normal natural gap in the top or something? Or can you, can you decide to open it once you're inside? I wasn't really too clear about that. This is an interesting subject. Just like GPS last week, Paul... <laughs> oh, no, tell me you haven't researched here, Richard. I have researched. Right, I'm going to make a cup of tea. Oh, no, I'm actually going to get. Oh, what? Well, let me put a quick advert break on. You, I will, discover... not. you will sit down and you will listen Fucking because, hell. unlike GPS last week. Have you ever heard of the term mansplain, Richard? <laughs> no, okay. You can ask me questions then. You just ask no, me no, anything. No, no, go on, go on, go on, go on. You like this subject. I know you do. You talk frequently about your love of industrial gauges. Well, I, I, I love modular systems, yeah. Exactly. And the container system is the world's biggest industrial gauge. Extensible modular gauge system. Would that be an opposite phrase to summarise it? It's built on a piece of Lego, which is called the TEU. Hey, you've done junior work, haven't you? You're going to be telling me about Chrysler K-cars next, aren't you? It's the 20-foot equivalent unit, the, t- the TEU. And its bigger brother, the FEU, the 40-foot equivalent unit. Is the ones they play ping-pong in in Camden. No, sorry. <laughs> that's that's the milkshake bar in Camden. <laughs> Actually, I think all of the... I think the containers in this film that they're inside are all, all FEUs. Yeah, they're longer yeah. than 20 foot. 20-foot equivalent units are not actually 20 feet long. They're slightly shorter. And the idea is you can put two of them next to each other lengthways and put a 40-footer on top and it fits perfectly. Ah, and they stack together, and you link them at the corners and on the container ships. They're stacked, I don't know, 12, 20 high or something crazy, I don't know. Yes. They're, they're really high on those container ships, aren't they? And Shanghai, the largest port in the world now, I think, at least for container handling, is fully automated. All the, all the hoisting and docking is now completely automated, incredibly. And they can do that because these containers are standardised size and a standardised configuration. The beauty of them is they also fit on the back of articulated lorries and trucks. And trains. So you can put them on the roads and on trains. Exactly right. Yep. And you can pick them up with standardised cranes and stuff. And they are carefully engineered so they know what loading they'll take on top. Because if you're going to stack them, obviously you need to know all of that stuff. It's all very clever. But it does mean, if you think about it, almost anything we ship is going to fit into an FEU or a TEU. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got me onto a topic that I'm very interested in because I, I mean, you know about the international postal exchange 
and charging system, don't you? Yeah, there's an agree- there's agreements, aren't there, about what you charge sort of international post, what each postal company charges. So you, you can, through your own, whichever country you're ordering it from, you can order a whole container vessel full of space to send mail. So you're not paying for the individual mail. Of course, right. when it gets to Folkestone or whatever, you're going to have to deliver it yourself. Okay. But I don't know if you noticed that over the past 10 years, if you wanted to send stuff like 5,000 miles, say 40 kilograms of stuff back home, there was this group sourcing kind of service where you all click on an internet company. They will collect all your suitcases, bung them all into a container hmm. vessel. And right. you can save a heck of a lot of money. And so that really fascinates a business opportunity. But, I mean, the interesting thing is, is it's not really available for most consumers because you really have to book an entire container, container vessel. There's not yeah. a smaller four-foot equivalent half-size no, no. or postal unit. Because you can think about it, you can modularize the 20-foot equivalent into maybe eight smaller compartments. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Maybe some sort of roller mechanism so they roll in and out quite easily on top of each other. But they haven't done that. So when post goes on ships, it fills up an entire container, which I thought was just incredible. In actual fact, there are taller containers. There's a there's a format that's a little bit taller, but not much, because it still has to fit under bridges and stuff on the roads. And there is a half-height one as well. Don't know why you'd use that, but, but those exist. But we'll come back to this later. Exciting. Our couple are paying, desperately paying with their wedding rings to get onto a container, aren't they? These yeah. people smugglers. We see that the Nico has got a Snickers bar. And she's also pregnant, heavily pregnant, yeah? She is heavily pregnant, yeah. And that's presumably why they're so desperate to get out of there now. Yes. Nico says the reason that the fascist regime hasn't overtaken Ireland is because they drink dark beer. <laughs> Which has ever since made me thirsty for Guinness, I have to say. Obviously, they're supporting one another through this trying time. No, I wasn't really clear about how their firstborn disappeared. Because it's kind of mentioned at this beginning, but we get further exposition towards the end. Oh, we even see her, don't we? We see like her ghost later on, we see her. Yes, yeah. Well, it all gets down... I guess it all gets back to what you're saying about what they're doing with this fascist regime is doing. Maybe it's collecting these children and killing them? I don't know. Yes, that's the idea, I think. So they've got this little thing, haven't they, where he says, I love you more than yesterday, and she says, less than tomorrow. Something Aww. incredibly sappy. Maybe it sounds less less cringy in Spanish. But they get separated, don't they, tragically. The smugglers try to load too many people into one of these FEUs. That's right, yes. So some of them have to disembark, and Nico is dragged off the container vessel. But she's looking through one of the holes in the side of the container and she can see that he is being put on another container. Yes. She notes that there's number 107 on the side of it. So she's got an idea of where he is. And she's got a cell phone so she can call him briefly and they say the goodbyes. We then see them like driving through this future... Dystopiaville. Dystopian Spain, don't we? Yeah. Which has resemblance to maybe 80 or 90s Latin America. Unsurprisingly, I guess. Now, they come to a checkpoint and things go downhill, don't they? Well, not literally downhill, but things go downhill. Yeah, because there's some paramilitary guards in fancy uniforms with red sashes on and stuff, aren't they? Definitely working with the government, yeah. They want to open the container and check the interior. One of the guys goes inside the container. How cleverly they put a false wall right at the front of the container, behind the cab, as it were. 
but not clever enough to outwit these experienced checkpoint guardies. Yeah, so how do they how do they find the false wall? Well, they kind of do they walk inside and outside in tandem or something? Wait a minute, the guy on the inside counts so many paces and says to the guy on the outside, no. walk that many paces. No, no, it's no. easier than that. Oh. The guy on the inside, he goes all the way to the end, what he thinks yeah. is the end. He turns to the side wall and he shoots a hole, a bullet hole. Oh, and it doesn't come out at the end of That's the right, container. the guy standing outside sees a bullet hole and it's further down the container. So they know there's a false wall. And they rip open the wall and in cold blood massacre the women and children inside. They do. But Mia has been smart, hasn't she? She's climbed on top of a crate. She pops on top of a crate, yeah. And, and amazingly, they don't think to check on top of the crate. There's a nice tense moment where they walk in to check the dead uh, and see if it needs hosing down. And she's she's gulping with adrenaline. As you do, you can't really control your breathing if, you, if, you're, if you're afraid. And yet they don't hear it. Why? Because something clatters or that kind of thing. So it's a very close escape. The container is free to go on its way. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure this... <laughs> I'm not sure this is totally realistic. Why, if the driver bringing this container is smuggling loads of people, why would they then be free to go? You just clear out the stowaways, do you? That's the, the job. Clear them out. I think so, yeah. I think it's literally reduce the population, clear them out. I see. Okay, job done then, yeah. And, you know, I mean, would the driver necessarily know they're on board? No, he wouldn't, would he? He might well oh. get away with it. I see. I mean, but you're right. It's not entirely believable. So she's alone in this container, isn't she? And she's settling down for a sea voyage now. She's been loading onto a ship. Yeah, swung onto a ship. Clatter, clatter, bang, bump. It'd be nice if there was a gentle, if there's a nice gentle voyage all the way to Ireland. Of course, people do this, and we saw Tenet relies on this stowaway technique, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Because they have they set up containers with reverse air and stuff, so you can go backwards in time <laughs> while being. <laughs> Transported around. <laughs> so, so you're saying this is not apocryphal? Unlike, unlike climbing through the vents in the office above above the ceiling in the in the suspended ceiling, which apparently is apocryphal because the, the the vents are too small. You're saying people actually do this? Yeah, I mean, air vents are not designed to hold a person, are they? They're almost certainly too small, and they'll certainly come down with a person's weight in them. All of that stuff. But people do. And have stowed away in containers on ships. It does happen. It does? Not just for stag dudes. <laughs> You've got to explore her surroundings, which is the inside of a container vessel, and find out what tools she's got, what artifacts she has, and what affordances they give her. She's not expecting to be on here for very long, is she? No, it should be a nice, gentle voyage across the Atlantic, maybe a day or two at most. Yeah, can't be much more, can it? From Spain to Ireland, four hundred, five hundred miles a day. There's a severe storm blowing up in the Atlantic, and then some. Yeah, it's crazy. Unfortunately, several containers, including Mears, by courtesy of CGI, fall off. <laughs> fall off the ship. And this, of course, is also perfectly realistic. Is there? Every year, on average, about eighteen hundred containers get lost. Do they float from ships? That was my first thought as well. Are they watertight? I very much doubt they're watertight. Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> do they float? The answer is yes, they almost certainly do float. Because... To begin with. Certainly to begin with, yeah. There's real good reasons, physics-y reasons for this, actually. If you think about a 40-foot unit and yeah. the amount of space in there, the, the air in there, displaces something like 75 tonnes, I think, if you work it out. Wow. Of that order. 
Now, that's way, way more than the axle weight permitted for a truck, say. Yes. So it's basically physically impossible for an FEU to be full enough to sink. Unless it was made of gold, (laughs) lead, or the world's densest metal. And the other thing is, of course, most containers are not full to the brim. Container shipping is about usually finished goods, right? Yes. It's usually in packaging, as we'll discover. Voluminous, yes, very much voluminous. So high volume, low weight, polystyrene, all of that stuff. Almost inevitably, any container is going to float when it falls off. Now, the problem with that is this. Actually, a a container that's fully floating is not a big deal, because it floats reasonably high out of the water. But usually they do start to sink, slowly, slowly. And at some point, when they're kind of neutrally buoyant, they'll just be below the water. And they're extremely dangerous to shipping. Not to big ships, I suppose. They'd probably knock them out of the way. But smaller ships and things like yachts with fiberglass hulls, anything like that, they can't see them. There's no way they'll see them if they're below the waterline. And if you hit them, you'll gash your ship open, your boat open very easily. Wow. So you're saying at some point there's an airlock there that makes them buoyant forever? Or... They're not hermetically sealed, right? No. But they're weather sealed. But, I mean, those two say. front doors, there's that big bar that you kind of pull to latch the one door onto the other. And that seal cannot be complete, can it? It's weather sealed, designed to stop rain getting in. It's not but it's, designed... not, it's not got rubber between the two. I mean, it would be easy to, to sort of water seal it. You just have, like, a compressible rubber seal on either side of the two parts that clump together. It has rubber seals, but they're not designed to cope oh. with the pressure of being submerged. Right. But this is a big thing, right? This is a design problem with containers. You do want to keep the weather out, and some of them you might want to be sort of hermetic, like refrigerated units and stuff. But you don't want it to be sealed well enough that it floats for a long time in the danger zone of it just below the waterline. So there's talk of making seals that fail in the seawater, like dissolve in the salt water, or just... Seals that just give way very easily. So that they flood quickly and then sink. Quite often they have holes in them as well for other purposes or they've been shot by <laughs> by fascist guards checking for stowaways. Or pirates, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a really interesting story about whether or not they float and how long they float for. But it does seem that it is realistic. I wasn't expecting to find mm-hmm. this out, that this thing would float. Especially as it's basically nearly empty. She was knocked out, wasn't she, by the impact with the water? But she awakes, sort of daylight coming through the hole at the top. And the container is awash with a couple of inches of water. Her phone is cracked and apparently unserviceable. She can't operate it. And there's, there's rays of light coming through the bullet holes in the side of the, That's side right. of the container. So she starts opening the crates that were in here. There weren't many, but there were a few. So the first one, she finds a load of Tupperware, Tupperware boxes. Useful, I thought. Very have, you, have you ever played the Desert Island game where you've got to get off, you've got 10 items to choose out of a list of 40? Would you allow one to be an entire crate full of Tupperware boxes? <laughs> I, th- I think generally you'd be limited to maybe 12 Tupperware boxes or so. Oh, I see. Because she's got enough to make a raft with, frankly. Well, she does eventually, doesn't she? Plot spoiler. She does, yeah, yeah. I never thought about that. It really it passed me by that you could use those time together to make a raft. So well done there. Mia. That was the first thing that occurred to me. Ah. What else has she got? She's got a box of hoodies. Useful. A lot of vodka. A heck of a lot of vodka. Vodka, yeah. LCD TVs. Very useless. Well, there's quite a lot of polystyrene in there. 
Then she's got some tools. I can't remember what she got in terms of tools. There were some tools because one of the stowaways had a, a drill for drilling air holes in a the drill. container. Right. Pen knife because she uses it later. She finds a crate full of in the ear headphones. Wired in the ear headphones. Not iP not AirPods. Ones on wires. Does she try to plug the holes in the wall at this point or not? No. She does. I think she finds some duct tape, doesn't she? And she and it kind of works. It, it's kind of an ad hoc solution. She stops yeah. the water ingress. Yeah. She just come to. She started looking around. She hears screams outside and looks outside through one of the holes. And she sees a container outside with 107 on the side. Several containers came off with her. She hears screaming from within it. They're sinking fast, aren't they? She's trying to um, call Nico, but her phone's not working. One of the other stowaways, though, had like an old flip phone, didn't she? She was playing Snake on it or something. That's right, yeah. So she swaps her SIM into the flip phone, tries to call Nico, just as she's watching the container sink. Now, she is, I have to say, pretty optimistic about cell phone coverage somewhere in the, in the middle Atlantic, of the Atlantic yeah. or the Bay of Biscay <laughs> or wherever. Maybe cell phones are more sophisticated in this near future world. I think someone has just put up... Is, is Musk doing, like, a direct satellite cell phone network? Whoa. I Someone know. is, I think. Someone's doing it, yeah. That's a clever yeah. idea. Well, not clever, but it's, it's, it, if it could work, it's a good idea for me. Yeah. It's a way of avoiding having to install a load of ground-based infrastructure for in, you. In areas where it's not economical, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think there is going to be any coverage in the Bay of Biscay at all, is there? Because you know, <laughs> I took two steps out of bonus on Windermere to go up, a, not even a mountain, a hill, and, and you know, my coverage just became more than patchy, like less than patchy. Sorry, so spotty it was unbelievable. Poor Mia thinks that Nico has just gone down in a container that sunk. She's pretty unhappy, isn't she? There's a moment where she contemplates taking the penknife and killing herself. But as she's doing that, she feels her daughter kick. Apparently, she hasn't felt that for several weeks or something, several days. Mm. So she knows that her unborn daughter is alive and she's got to really stay alive for her now, hasn't she? Does she learn how to get drinking water or is she just drinking the vodka at this point? She had a bottle of water with her, didn't she? And I think one of the other stowaways. She's got a couple of litres of fresh water, I think, at this point. But as the sun starts to beat down on the container, evaporation occurs and there's condensation on the ceiling. And she realises she has to collect the drips into the bottle. So well done. She's, it's obvious that she's going to be able to survive a little bit longer than we first thought. She also fixes the holes with the little rubber strips you get to seal the Tupperware. Yes. And she starts bailing the container out. This is clever, actually. She puts a pipe through one of the eye holes like a funnel on the end, and she bails out her own container with the Tupperware as a scoop. Brilliant. Does she get a phone call? Yeah, she's taking stock of things when her phone rings and Nico phones. Oh, he's not dead under under the water. Apparently, the driver left their container outside the port, but he's managed to blag his way in, I think. And she tells him that she's in the middle of the ocean in a container. Never going to see him again. I think she has contractions at this point, so we know that the baby is very close to being due. Would it be dramatic if she gave birth during a storm? <laughs> Q-storm. <Yeah. laughs> Cut to her being tossed like crazy in a thunderstorm. And she's, she's in a crate, isn't she? Yeah. Protecting herself while the storm batters the container. The phone rings again, but she drops it into the deepening ah, sort of right, bilge yeah. water. 
she has to keep fixing the waterline holes because the tape and all the stuff keeps coming out. Yeah, it's, it seems like she's losing the battle against the waterline. It seems to be creeping up day by day. She's got some sort of prison notch on the bedstead way of recording the rise in the water level, like you measure the growth and height of your child kind of thing. In the middle of all this storm, contractions are happening. Baby is born straight into the water. It's a water birth, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, Mia's hungry, so what does she eat? She eats the placenta. Well done. As you would do, I guess, in that survival situation. No, she puts it in a Tupperware box at this point. Oh, she gosh. eats it later when she gets hungry enough. <laughs> okay. okay. So we see her after three days, I think. She's trying to drill her way out of the top of the container. This drill that she's got, she starts making holes in a kind of square shape. so that she can... Just like you open a can, she just needs to open up three sides of a rectangle and she can maybe leave her the rest. Unfortunately, just as she's getting towards the end, She's a bit too enthusiastic, like when she drops a phone, and she, she breaks the drill bit, doesn't she? It's a cordless drill. It runs out of battery, doesn't it? Oh, it runs out of battery, okay. And it's bound That's to after it's drilled 20 holes through a container roof, isn't it? She's dried her iPhone out, and although she can't use the screen, she can put the SIM back in it, but she can't call on it. She eats the placenta now because she's starving, and she hears a wail outside, which apparently uh... nudges the container, and she has to bang on it to scare it away. I think it's a, it's a couple more days later, and she has been soaring between the perforations in the escape hatch hole with the penknife, which yeah, now, it snaps, obviously, isn't it? We've had a hallucinatory sequence, haven't we, where she's... I don't think she would be drinking the salt water, but she's just so tired from the birth that she just trips off into a sort of unpleasant set of, of imaginings toward, concerning her firstborn. Is yeah, right? she sees her daughter, Uma, her first daughter. We know that she's dead. Now, I, I like this bit because I never really thought about this. Eventually, by use of the Swiss Army penknife cutting blade option, she gets through, or the saw option, she gets through the roof, onto the rooftop of the container vessel, and then she learns how to fish. That's right, yeah. She learns how to fish because she throws one of her baby's oh, dirty nappies. yes. And the fish seem quite pleased and attracted by this. So she gets the idea to start spear fishing, doesn't she? She makes a spear out of some junk uh, and starts spearing these fish catches them and stores them in the tupperware well done <laughs> so it's all working out it looks like she can survive for a month or two now but it's when she's on top that she sees a passenger jet in the sky and she wants to go That's down right. and get a bit of glass from the tv screens and as she's rushing back up silly to rush but i suppose she had to that's when the jagged edge of the uh... opening of the hat she's made slices of what i don't know a six inch gash in her yes, thigh. Yes, it's gruesome. It's terribly gruesome. Horrible. Instead of singling a plane, she has to then go back and make a needle. This is clever, actually. She makes a needle out of wire, electronic wire. Ah. Sterilises it with vodka. Stitches her, her own really thigh up. Reminiscent of Rambo 1 or Rambo 2? I'm not sure which one of the Rambo movies this was. It's the first one, isn't it? First blood first Rambo. First one. Yeah. Suck out the bullets and tend to his own wound. She also weaves a net out of headphone cables. That's also clever. Starts catching more fish with, that is really clever. with nappy bait and eating the fish raw. So we've got Pacuna Patata. We've got Pacuna Patata, the, the circle of life. Baby poo, attract fish. Woman eat poo. Baby drink woman milk. The circle of life continues, doesn't it? We get a memory after about 12 days, which tells us what happened to Uma, actually. Well, she ended up in Waterworld with Kevin Cosner. No, no, what happened? <laughs> Apparently she let Uma go outside 
after they'd been in hiding inside for a long time, she gave her some fresh air. And the regime goons took Uma. So she blames herself. Well, you can't keep a kid indoors. She can't blame herself. She gets a call from Nico that night. And apparently he's alive, but he's in bad shape. He says oh, that he's God. been hiding in a container ship, but he's been shot. And he's telling her that he thinks he's going to die. It's a very moving scene, actually, where he's telling her this. But she's resolved to carry on. Isn't she? She's got a daughter to look after. And he says, you, you always have me with you. She's there with you right now, kind of thing, which is a lovely parting gesture. It's also a bit of a cliche, isn't it? And also, it in is. another more real sense, not true. <laughs> true, yeah. But day 26, the water is now above the limit line that Mia had drawn on the side. I don't know where she came up with that line. I mean, she's had a lot of time to do a lot of physical calculations. She might, yeah. I'm not going to doubt true. her on that one. Yeah. Mia has, meanwhile, in that time, she's built a little raft out of crates and Tupperware. Stitched together with the, uh, presumably the headphone wire. And she's basically made a floating cot for her daughter, hasn't she? Yeah, it's very Romulus and Remus kind of stuff. And as she's sitting on top, doing all of this stuff, preparing, she sees a seagull, which she knows means, paradoxically, land. she must be near land, right? Because seagulls are really coastal birds, not seabirds, aren't they, I guess? Yeah, that's true, that's true. I mean, around here, they're too tubby to get anywhere <laughs> very far away from land. I'd like to see them doing the exercise. Well, they must eat a lot of chips in Blackpool. Seagulls around here are mobility scooters. <laughs> you know. They're giant, Richard. Has, has whatever stolen your food from you? They're the, the giant jungle rodents of the sea. <laughs> they're huge. I mean, literally. They're the size of... They're bigger than a tabby cat. <laughs> they're enormous. A cat with wings. <laughs> so, an apocryphal story. I don't know if you heard that story from, from one of our mutual chemistry teachers. He used to wrap potassium in bread and feed it to seagulls so they exploded. I'm sure he was making this up just to make to make us remember metal plus acid chemistry. Isn't this? Hang on, isn't this from Twenty Four Hour Party People and an apocryphal tale about no, the Happy Monday? No, no, no. That is Sean fed poison to pigeons. So she's up on the top, about to launch her boat, and it's little. What do you call those little uh, dinghies that are attached to a yacht in case it's, it sinks? Lifeboat. Uh, lifeboat. It is a well, kind of like a lifeboat, assistance raft or whatever. And I found this. A little bit of a stretch. I mean, the Atlantic can be pretty choppy. And, you know, Romulus and Remus kind of made of reeds little raft for her daughter. It can not be more than, not much bigger than a child itself. I don't think it would have survived very long on those waters. She's got no choice, Paul, because the container she's in starts sinking. So she ducks down inside. Rapidly, actually. When it goes, it goes quickly, doesn't it? Which I think is fairly accurate, isn't it? But once it's seesaw past that tipping point, it's going to increasingly go down increasingly quickly, isn't it? As she's gathering her stuff from inside, she spots something she'd forgotten about. A Tupperware box containing... Again, she rushes back. A Tupperware box containing (sighs) the Snickers that Nico had given her all that time ago. She grabs it. She has to desperately cut her foot out of webbing whilst the container is sinking. There were some good scenes, but I don't think this is one of the good scenes. Slightly hackneyed, I thought, that one. Well, when she gets out of the container, the sinking container, she can't see the raft, can she? And she's desperately... Wouldn't it be nice if a wise whale came along and pointed <laughs> her in the right direction? The whale makes the baby cry by using its blowhole, and then Mia can hear the baby crying and swims toward it. <laughs> okay, so somewhat fantastical 
But you might say it's you might say it's the last imagination of her brain as she drowns, <laughs> kind of thing, which would be a nice ending to it. But it's not. It, apparently, she survives. So she's clinging to this crib, this floating baby crib, in the middle of the sea, swimming along. I think that was the middle of the night, wasn't it? And we now see, kind of in the day, we now see a fishing boat powering its way through the waves. I mean, she's holding on for grim life. She's about to let go, just as it turns up. The fishing boat spots this crib, this little raft, bobbing around. And the obviously Irish fisher people on board. Yes, now this is very much a Spanish evocation of Irishness, so it's quite, <laughs> it's quite entertaining. It's like Portland Bill, Aaron Jumpers, <laughs> Portland Billers, and these kind of wild, staring, kind of fierce eyes. So it's very strange. So the fisherwoman, she pulls the crib on board, and the baby is in the crib, and they're wondering where this baby came from, but they notice there's a rope, a crudely made rope attached to the crib, still in the water, and she pulls on this rope, and as she does so, Mia emerges. Isn't it lucky that she only drowned five minutes ago? Because if she drowned 15 minutes before the, the boat arrived, then there would be no chance to revive her. Well, you know what they say, don't you? If you drown in cold water, you live longer. Yeah, true. They say you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Someone, I think they're in Alaska or somewhere in the cold north of America. They'd wound up like trying to hike at night. Their car had broken down or something through the snow and stuff. Wound up getting hypothermia. Always have tea lights in your cars, everybody, seriously. Four tea lights will keep your car warm enough in most conditions for most of the night. Wow, that's great advice. But crack a window about 80 open. watts, about eight, no. It's, well, you've got to like put, you've got to open it up once in a while to let some fresh oxygen. But yeah, it's about 80 or 100 watts of power. So it should warm up the car. They passed out on this hillside in this forest, freezing cold. They wound up in hospital. Someone found them, of course, eventually. But it had been hours and hours and hours. Back in hospital, the doctors carefully warmed up this person and they came round, even though they, they had been literally dead and frozen. There was no heartbeat. They worked out, obviously, from the chain of events how long they'd been on the hillside. They'd been clinically dead or frozen for ages and ages and ages. Whoa. Consequently, doctors say that you're not dead until you're warm and dead. Until your enzymes are decaying, yeah. 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 Sorry, tea lights, 34 watts each, so... Four of them, 136 watts. Quite a lot of power, actually. So do you have four tea lights in your car? I do have four tea lights in cars that I use. Yeah. Wow, okay. I also have one of those reflective marathon... Well, I have four of them. Reflective marathon sheets. Oh, those shiny blankets? Yeah, but apparently you can make that with plastic and tinfoil yourself. Yeah, I'm sure it's quite easy to get plenty of tinfoil and plastic and laminate them together. <laughs> Yeah, you, no, what you do is you get some shopping bags, cut them up right. okay, into strips, lay them on your table, and then double sticky tape them to the tinfoil. And apparently it works just as well. And this is some way cheaper, is it, than buying a Mylar blanket? Considerably cheaper. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. They're about eight quid, really. Yeah, but how much decent. is a roll of Baco file? <laughs> Only about £1.80 oh, right. if, okay. uh, if you get the savers variety. <laughs> and if you're anything like me, you've got 300 plastic bags because... Are they all bags for life? Bags for life are the uh, are the sort of taupe versions, aren't they? The expensive kind of hemp kind of bags. Is that not the bags for life? I don't know, Richard. I'm not an expert on supermarket bagging convention. I mean, I used to have about 300 plastic bags, but I now have literally like three left in my life. But what did you do with the 297? Did you just bin them at once or did you find uses for them? Yeah, well, they were all used as waste paper bin liners and stuff. 
this is it, you see. So I get it that supermarkets don't want us using plastic bags because that much more than driving to the supermarket in a large ice combustion car is what's causing global warming, right? Well, let's not debate that. But wonderful greenwashing nonetheless. I use them three times. Our Irish fishing vessel picks up Mia and they revive her, don't they? Yes. That's it. That's the end of nowhere. She's gone from nowhere somewhere to being an island, presumably, hopefully. So what do you think, Richard? Obviously, I think maybe from budget and maybe from significant constraints on what they were able to do technically. There were, there were parts of this movie that weren't entirely convincing, but I thought it was deeply moving as a whole. I was trying to figure out what the economy of this new fascist world order is. Why is Spain struggling as it is to feed its people? Why is it selling Tupperware and LCD TVs to <laughs> Ireland? And why is this shipment so important that even when it's full of stowaways that they've had to kill, that they send it on its way? I didn't really well, it get that. It must be important because it's, it's only half full. It's the only things they've got to trade. I guess they're trading what they've got. Yeah, everyone knows that Spain is famous for Tupperware and LCD TV. Presumably with a democratic <laughs> enemy. I don't know if you would do this. No, exactly. Really. Yeah. Why? Why are they sending Tupperware to Ireland? I mean, if you look, I mean, there are many... About Nazi Germany, there are many ideas. Because Nazism was bad, therefore, the economy and the economic principles of Nazi Germany must be bad too, you know? There's an idea that, well, we don't want to admit that maybe they had some successes. But, I mean, there's no doubt that they did grow economically extremely fast uh, over those 10 years, or was it 12 years? But when you dig down deeper into it, it's actually due to the fact that they had a lot of their working class working 70 to 80 hour weeks. (laughs) Right. <laughs> so that's why they were able to build so many motorways and that kind of stuff so quickly. It was forced labour, essentially. So there was no Nazi economic miracle as the trains running on time, the Volkswagen Beetles being so well produced, that kind of thing. There was none of that, really. It wasn't anything apart from forced labour. So I don't know about this this future Spanish fascist economy. <sighs> olive oil, presumably, yeah? Well, there was no olive oil in here, was there? There was vodka. There was none, no. Hoodies? Vodka, LCD TVs, headphones, Tupperware. Poison. Exporting poison. Exporting what we don't need. The thing about this yeah. is they they really know how to put the characters through the ringer, don't they? Obviously, it's compared to Fall. Well, it certainly is on Netflix, right, I guess. Ah, Fall, yeah. Lots of movies here. And I was thinking... Come on, there are real Rambo. There are some real Rambo moments, though, aren't there? Fall could have been improved if she'd had a baby at the top of the... Antenna Tower, <laughs> that would have really pushed it over the edge, as it were. It's it's quite difficult at times, isn't it? Though I find it difficult watching people in survival situations. Difficult in what sense? Difficult, intense, and and engaging and enthralling, or difficult in terms of makes you slightly peakish and squeak, squeamish, uh, kind of squeamish. Yeah, she's having a baby. The huge gas in her. I thought the huge gash in her thigh. That was, was laying just it on real thick, wasn't it? Extravagant, wasn't it? Yeah. It would be enough to survive 20-odd days in a container in the middle of the ocean, wouldn't it? But as in the old thought experiment, you know, you're on treasure you, you're on treasure island and you've got 10 items to escape with, which 10 do you choose? Did you not like some of the ways she thought her way through the challenges that, were, that she was facing? Yeah, I, I did. Fishing I really loved, because I just it never crossed my mind that you could use baby poo to fish with. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't be the first that crossed my mind either. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> Yeah, I like the, making the nets out of the headphone cables. I like that. 
plugging the holes and sort of uh, bailing out the water. Bailing out the water, that was clever. I would have been making a raft out of Tupperware, definitely. She tended yeah, to use it. Yeah, she, she took her time doing that, didn't she? Yeah. I mean, she used a lot of Tupperware, like, I think. Ticking off the list one by one, yeah. I mean, she, she wasted a lot of Tupperware. She, she threw some into the water for some reason. I think she was putting sort of rescue me notes out, wasn't she? That's right. Must have been daft, isn't but it? But the first Tupperware she used, she used to pee in and presumably poo in, although she probably wasn't doing very much of that, was she? Not until she started to, not until she started to in that haddock. <laughs> she had a baguette as well for the first few days. She didn't need to eat fish. As we know, what the survival rule is the rule of fours, isn't it? Four minutes, four hours, four days, four weeks. So four minutes without air, four hours without shelter, four days without water and four weeks without food. So she could have probably have done this whole thing without food, except she had to feed her baby. We could do way more than four weeks without food. If you're in a third... I don't know how hot it was there. It seems to be quite hot some days. Obviously, if you're in a very extreme environment, then your body's going to burn fat and much more quickly. But typically, with, that, with water and without food, we're talking about three months, I think. It depends how much fat you've got, doesn't it? If you, well, that is it. But if you go, that's a good point. If you go on YouTube and watch the guys that don't, that fast all their fat off their body and don't eat, I think they tend to go a bit longer than three months. Sounds terrible. It's, it's very dangerous and it shouldn't be on YouTube. It's, it's one of the things I really object to being on YouTube because you've got impressionable 15, 16-year-old people watching this and they're going to try it out. The other thing is what fitness influencers do is this, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, is tying your legs, sorry, tying your arms behind your back and jumping into a lake. What? <laughs> to force yourself to tread water with legs only to get back to the bank. And they say don't do this as a caption, but obviously people are going to do that too. I guess if you're with someone who can fish you out, maybe, but... But our 16-year-old's going to really think about all that. Probably not. God, I haven't seen any of these things. I don't tend to explore fitness YouTube for obvious reasons. <laughs> so yeah, well, a month definitely you can survive without food, yeah. But as I say, she had to feed her baby and she's got to make milk for the baby. So she, she had to eat, I guess. She was probably craving all kinds of things. It's a year without sunlight, isn't it? A year, isn't it? Yeah, a year, a year without sunlight and 10 years without company, I think. Wow. Or, or 10 years without freedom. This isn't part of the rule of fours, Paul. I'm not. I'm just making these up. But if you're confined for 10 years, you're obviously going to die, yeah. Right. Oh, God. Well, she makes it, and I suppose it's optimistic at the end, although her husband does die. That's quite sad, isn't it? Let's score this film then, Paul. Uh-huh. We're really only scoring Anna Castillo, aren't we? Really. Very much so. Uh, what superb acting. I thought this was beyond, beyond good, actually. Yeah, it was superlative. I can't really fault it. I'm going to give it nine point five. Oh, I'll give it. I'll give it a nine. I was going to give it an eight. Just incredible, an incredible gamut of emotions that she, she takes us on. Just the, such convincing acting through her anguish and the childbirth and the hallucinations. It's just, yeah, it's just really great. Plot. Hmm. Let me hum about this. I don't know. I'm. I'm waiting to be convinced. The container stuff is kind of realistic, I guess. It doesn't have to be realistic as such, because it's obviously a fiction, but it has to be believable. You have to be prepared to suspend your disbelief, yeah. Yeah. The fascist regime, I can't quite do that. Yeah, it's a very broad brushstrokes, but they're just setting up a thing to flee from, aren't they? They are, exactly. So it doesn't need... It's not the main moon in the galaxy, is it? It's not the main moon in, in, in in the planet's 
in, in, under the planet's orbit. So. But, I mean, let's face mm. it, it's not as if people aren't smuggling people as it is in the world that we live in right now. It's happening all the time. I did like the relevance, actually, because, yeah, I mean, it's I mean, we very rarely get any kind of sympathetic treatment of what the people must go through, Yeah, particularly as they drown. It must be awful, mustn't it? Yeah. It must yeah. be unconscionably bad. They do it because they're desperate. The, the, the Rwanda bill was being voted on today, wasn't it? I don't even know what happened. Mm. Presumably it went through, but... As was pointed out today, what, what could possibly be more of a deterrent than facing death trying to cross a sea or an ocean in a tiny fucking boat? Not much. So I love the fact that this isn't Hollywood. This is Spanish drama and we get tragedy. I love the Well, I don't love the fact the husband dies, but I love the fact they've done that in the movie. It's very brave. Yeah, so I think in terms of what needed to happen, we needed to see some tragedy. I would have preferred maybe something bleaker where she doesn't survive either. It's a little bit tenuous, the string that holds her to life at the end. And the uh, being saved by the whale. And the being saved by the whale kind of thing. (laughs) So, however, the power of the performance and just the emotional range of the movie, I think, carries it through. So for me, the plot's going to get a six. I'll give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. Ah. For it leading me into how containers fall off ships and what happens. How about the essentially, can we frame this as escape room conundrum? How about the just general, did it engage us with the... With the, the puzzles, with the contrivances. The puzzles yeah. that, the contrivances and, and challenges that she had to face. Yeah. It's, it wasn't that bad, was it? Yeah. It's a good six or seven here, I think, for the ingenuity. She didn't end up like Robinson Crusoe with a little kind of pad and a, and a friend, <laughs> did she? See, I thought it was going to be like she's going to sail away, come across some clump of floating grass in the middle in the middle of the Atlantic, <laughs> and form a water world to fight, rise up against. I thought it was going to become fantastical, but it didn't do it. Survival video games are a popular genre at the moment. There's one called uh-huh. Raft, where you build a raft, kind of float around, doing exactly what she was doing, really. So, in terms of survival vibes, what do you what are you going to score it? I'll score it a seven. A seven. I generally thought it worked. Nothing was over the top in terms of all that she tried to do, I thought, would have been achievable, given the happenstance arrangement of tools that would allow her to do it. Uh, so I'm going to give it an eight for for survival, survival, survival vibes. And what do we give it as an overall score? Whew, quite strong in the end. It was exceptionally moving. I moved me to tears on two occasions. And that's just the strength of her performance. The way she conveys loss, all that stuff, just brilliant. So for me, it's going to be a 7.5. I'll give it a 7. Could be a play, couldn't it? But I'm not really sure what it would say as a play. It's a spectacle (laughs) more than anything, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. I really liked the bit where she opened the crates and we see what she's working with. That That was cute. Done and dusted. That was 25, wasn't it, Richard? Episode 25. Onward, Paul. Next one. Okay, I'm going to give you a choice. Oh, no, we're, we're into choice season, aren't we? Yeah, you're quite right. We are? Yeah. Or you can give me a choice if you want to. A three movies? No, no, give me the choice. Okay, here they go. Are you ready? Yeah. Dark Waters, You Are Here, or Little Joe? In which case, it's got to be, for several reasons, Little Joe. Little Joe, about which I know very little at all. So Little Joe will be our film for next week. Thank you and goodbye. Ciao for now. See you next one. Bye-bye.